Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Mile Higher Podcast, episode 176. Today we are talking about the very suspicious and frustrating disappearance of Crystal Rogers, which has been going on for quite some time. I honestly thought by now we would have more updates. Yeah, me too. Something would have came out by now, but... I think we're very close. There's a few more recent developments that we'll go over. Yeah, I think we're close to. I think we're getting there. It's just frustrating. You know, this one, I think, has just been I mean, the whole whole investigative process and just, especially when you have multiple agencies involved in a disappearance like this, it can just, everything seemingly gets dragged out longer Mm -hmm. than you would expect it to take, I think. Yeah. And that's what's so frustrating. I mean, the poor Crystal's mother, I mean... You're, you just feel so bad for everything that she's had to go through. And kids, I mean, not with just Crystal, but Crystal's dad, which we'll get into yeah. later. It's honestly, this case is, like you said, frustrating, but it's just crazy. I mean, it's just crazy how everything sort of unfolded with it. Mm-hmm. So a lot to dive into. Yeah. So let's get right into it because there is so much to go over here. But this episode of the Mile Higher podcast is brought to you by Candid CEO Warby Parker Headspace, HelloFresh, and Curology. So we've got a lot to cover. We're not going to waste any more time here at the beginning. So let's just go ahead and get into some background around Crystal Rogers, who was actually born Crystal Ballard. So Crystal Maria Ballard was born on April 4th, 1980 to her parents, Tommy and Sherry Ballard. Tommy worked in the construction industry and owned his own company called TMB Construction. Her mother was a stay-at-home mom. She was a very devoted mother who raised her kids to be strong and independent. Crystal was born and grew up in Bardstown, Kentucky with her younger sister, Brooke, and her younger brother, Casey, as well. Bardstown is actually known as the bourbon capital of the world. It's an idyllic community with a population of under 14,000 people, and it's about 40 miles south of Louisville. In 2012, it was named the most beautiful small town in America. When Crystal was growing up, Bardstown was the kind of place where everyone knew their neighbors and people looked out for each other. As a kid, Crystal was known as being kind of shy, you know, a little bit more reserved and very easygoing. She made friends easily as well. She always looked out for her younger siblings and was just kind to everyone she came in contact with. She was very close with her family and from a young age, taking care of people was just very important to her. As a young adult, Crystal was the kind of daughter, sister and friend who would do anything for the people that she loved. Even when she didn't have the resources to help, she would still go above and beyond for anyone who needed it. But she wasn't the type of person who really ever asked for help herself. She was proud of her independence and preferred to be in charge of her own life. And that didn't change when she became a mom herself. She loved kids and she always knew that one day she wanted to be a mother. She had her first baby when she was around 20 years old, a daughter named Ashley, and she was so excited. And by the time she was in her early 30s, Crystal had three more kids, daughters Kylie and Tori, and a son named Trenton. Nothing in the world was more important to her than these kids and taking care of them. In fact, she worked multiple jobs to make sure that they had everything that they could possibly need. The smallest things in life were enough to make Crystal happy. She was very, you know, low-key and just grateful for all that she had. From the time that she was a young girl, she was spontaneous and fun-loving She was an optimist and could find the silver lining in any situation. When she was younger, Crystal had gotten married to a man named Keith Rogers. They were legally separated but not divorced yet when she started dating someone new. She rented a home from this guy named Brooks Houck. The two of them really hit it off. 
Crystal liked Brooks because he was stable and independent and he had just taken over the family business. He worked in real estate development and had his own company. He was also a well-known figure in the community and had even run for local office at some point. Brooks was different from other men in her past. She had once complained to her sister that she always ended up with losers. Crystal was five foot nine with long blonde hair and piercing blue eyes. She was fun, charismatic, and stunning, and likely had her choice of men. When she introduced Brooks to her parents and siblings, they were happy to see her with a handsome, successful man, and they welcomed Brooks into their family. They eventually moved in together, and on October 22, 2012, they welcomed a baby boy, Elijah Thomas Houck. They called him Eli, and Brooks was a loving, devoted father to the new baby. But sometimes, Brooks neglected Crystal's other four kids. When Eli was born, Ashley was 13, Kylie was 11, Tori was 9, and Trenton was 7. For example, Brooks insisted they keep the finances to pay for Crystal's four kids separate from Eli, such as paying for food separately in the grocery store. It's a very odd arrangement. Yeah, controlling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can imagine how Crystal's kids felt about that. I'm sure they found out that everything was kind of like split down the middle with between Eli Mm -hmm. and them. And he just seemed to treat them way differently. Right. Definitely raised for concern. This really bothered Crystal's mother, Sherry, who thought they should be acting like a blended family because that's what most people do is they accept, you know, Mm -hmm. their new partner's children. But Crystal assured her this arrangement was fine for now. On Friday, July 3rd, 2015, Crystal's daughter, Kylie, now 14 years old, texted her mom about buying some clothes. When she didn't hear back, she texted her grandmother to see if she had heard from Crystal. Sherry texted Crystal and told her Kylie was trying to reach her. And later that night, Kylie checked back in with her grandma and said her mom still hadn't texted her back. So Sherry called and left Crystal a voicemail. She assumed that Crystal and Brooks had gone to a party for the holiday weekend. And she thought maybe she couldn't hear her phone or something or that her battery had died and that they would get in touch with her by the morning. But the next day, Crystal still hadn't contacted Kylie or Sherry And obviously this made Sherry very nervous. That July 4th, she and Tommy had planned to spend a quiet holiday at home. But instead, she spent the whole morning and afternoon making frantic phone calls. She called family members and friends and anyone else she could think of who might know where Crystal was. But no one had heard from Crystal. The following day, July 5th, Crystal's brother Casey and his wife stopped by the house after a camping trip. And when Casey arrived, he found his mother absolutely hysterical. She was crying, unable to calm down, and telling them that something terrible must have happened to Crystal. Casey and Tommy assured her that there's probably a simple explanation for her just not getting back to them, but they agreed that they should report her missing. Sherry and Crystal's oldest daughter, Ashley, headed to the Nelson County Sheriff's Office to file a missing persons report. And on the way, they saw Brooks driving in his brown truck. Sherry and Brooks weren't getting along at the moment, which is why she hadn't talked to him at this point. Ashley texted him and asked him to pull over in a Walmart parking lot to chat. And once they were both in the parking lot, Sherry asked him about Crystal. And he said the last time he saw her was Friday night, July 3rd, which was two days ago. But he didn't seem concerned about her being gone really at all. That's definitely a red flag. Mm -hmm. That night he said that they had a serious talk about her kids, but he was careful not to call it a fight. Crystal was upset about him treating her kids differently than he treated Eli. 
And when she wasn't there Saturday morning, he assumed that she had gone out with friends late Friday night and would be back. But he also hadn't contacted the police to report her missing. As Sherry stood outside the truck, she noticed Eli in the back. He popped his head up and smiled at his grandmother, something that usually warmed her heart, but now it just made her heart race. She was positive that Crystal would never leave Eli and not tell anyone where she was going. She was almost never away from Eli, and as far as Sherry knew, Brooks rarely watched him by himself. Sherry and Ashley left and then went to the sheriff's office to file the missing persons report for 35-year-old Crystal Rogers. And later that same day, one of Crystal's relatives found her car. It was abandoned near mile marker 14 along the Bluegrass Parkway. So her 2007 maroon Chevrolet Impala was left unlocked with a flat tire pretty much almost to the ground and the key was still in the ignition also crystal's purse and her cell phone were left inside and the driver's seat was not positioned how crystal normally would have it when she would drive like pushed back farther than she would normally have right Mm -hmm. so they immediately thought maybe someone else was driving the car it almost seems to me like someone may have staged the vehicle Mm -hmm. in that way a lot of people believe that Plus, everyone who knew Crystal believed that she would just never leave her children. It's not in her character. She wouldn't have run away or gone off and started a new life or anything like that. I mean, something must have happened to her. Someone could have taken Crystal or forced her to go somewhere. As the police began their investigation, Crystal's parents launched their own, especially her father, Tommy. Tommy became like the unofficial lead investigator. And over the next several days and weeks, he organized searches almost daily with hundreds of volunteers. They would put up flyers and yard signs. They made t-shirts and they actually raised over $100,000 to offer as a reward for her safe return. Tommy followed up on every single lead, no matter how small or insignificant it may have seemed. He kept detailed notes of everything, every step of the way, documenting everything. He went out every single day as well to search for Crystal on his own. Finding his daughter became his sole reason for waking up in the morning, and he was just heartbroken without her. Sherry and Tommy eventually started what they called Team Crystal to organize volunteers and search efforts. Now, while all of this is happening and their family is doing everything they possibly can to find Crystal, Brooks and his side of the family made no effort to contact Crystal's family or friends to help in any of the searches, which, I mean, come on. That's just odd as it is. In what scenario would you not be out looking for your boyfriend, girlfriend, your partner, significant other? What? You'd be leading the search or a huge part of it. Right. To just not be involved at all is very suspicious. So that made all of Crystal's friends and family suspicious of Brooks from the beginning. They didn't think that Brooks was even taking things seriously. And it turns out that just a few days before Crystal had gone missing, she had a conversation with her sister, Brooke, about leaving Brooks. She had found a new job and was working on a plan to get away from him. So if you take that conversation based Mm -hmm. on the events that are playing out, I mean, you can start to really build a picture of what may have happened. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, it only makes sense. I mean, Mm -hmm. you already have a motive developing right here for Brooks to do something to crystal and of course he knows that doesn't make him look good so when he was interviewed by a detective on the case he insisted that they never seriously considered breaking up brooks was brought in for questioning on july 8th just a few days after crystal's mom reported her missing and he was interviewed in the nelson county sheriff's office 
During the interview, he stayed mostly calm, but seemed to lose his temper a few times when he found the questions offensive or when he talked about Crystal's family and friends. The detective knew it was important to figure out if they were having any relationship issues at the time that she went missing. So they asked him multiple times if he and Crystal had ever discussed even breaking up. And here's Brooke's answers. Had you and Crystal ever talked about breaking up? I mean, obviously we have fought just like any other, sure, uh, sure, sure. Any, other uh, any other couple, but in the last several years, I mean, that right, it, it's came up, but we've always found ourselves together moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that it's it's mentioned but it's never it's never happened and we've always found ourselves together moving forward when you said you all had had you know talk about splitting up had that been more recently or was that before Eli was born or had that been I don't, I don't remember the exact uh, exact dates but if you'll remember recall back in a couple of days ago when we had talked mm-hmm. whenever usually that had came up she had always went to like Sabrina's house or she went out with Brooke or to her parents uh, for a short period of time, a day, day and a half. And uh, after she cooled off uh, and we had a chance to talk a little bit, we always found ourselves back together. But uh, there, it has been uh, at times a stressed relationship. I'm not here telling you anything other than that. That is the truth and that's accurate. that has been discussed, but we've always found ourselves together. Uh, we love each other very much, and that right there is the, the bottom, uh, bottom end of it. It seems to me like at this point in time, Brooke's trying to play the, you know, I don't know mm-hmm. what happened game. And like just acting like, oh, this is kind of normal for her if we kind of get into a fight. She'll go off to her friend's house and mm-hmm. just cool off. Like he's he's being very nonchalant about the whole thing and he's he thinks he's being smooth and sort of you know confusing the detective or kind of like trying to put it past him a little bit but obviously the detective detectives heard this sort of excuse a million yeah. times so it's probably not really working too well no they're definitely but sus of him yeah yeah already. i mean uh, definitely from his body language he seems kind of tense and nervous and you know i'm i'm sure the detective can sense that and just his lack of concern right yeah that's Bizarre. a great point. Like, oh my, you know, he's like, oh, we love each other. But it's like, if you really love each other, you'd be like, yeah, I'm so torn up. I don't know where she is. Mm-hmm. Nobody's heard from her. This is crazy. You would, you would think there would be a little bit more emotion there, nope. but it just seems very cold. So eventually they got around to discussing what had happened that weekend, according to Brooks. And he explained that Friday night they had a quick dinner at home and then they went to his family's property on Pashel Ballard Road which is a 240-acre working farm that his family owns. Brooks said that he, Crystal, and Eli arrived that night to the farm around 7.20. Then Brooks went through everything that they did at the farm with the detective. He said that he thought that they had left around 11.30, but the detective had surveillance footage and a witness that put their leave time at 11.55, likely getting home around 12.20. Which is really odd to be at a farm that late with a baby. Mm. I mean, what? Yeah. So the detective decided to ask him about a call that he received around midnight. Brooks said that he didn't remember who had called him and he thought maybe it was one of his workers. But phone records showed that Brooks had answered the call and that it lasted for at least 13 seconds. But he didn't remember who he talked to. On the phone records, there appears to be a phone call. Um around midnight 
All right. On Friday night, Saturday morning. All right. I'm talking about on, on your way home, basically. All right. Um, do you know who that person was that called me around midnight? Do you can, remember talking no, to me on a phone call? Can you, uh, can you just call the number back? I don't I mean, I could. I, I could. I mean, I could look at my phone. phone. Yeah, look at my phone, but I don't, re I don't remember you that. You don't remember getting a phone call on the way home? Mm -hmm. Would it be unusual for you to get a phone call at midnight? I mean, it is for me, and I work for the sheriff's office. I get calls quite regularly. Uh, uh, some of the people that do the tile for me, I wouldn't put it past them to call me at any time. They lay brick through the day, and then they're, they're tile my houses at night. The Thomases I wrote on there, Derek and his brother, uh, Tyler Thomas. They'll call me at any time. I've got to, even if it's just one day, I don't pay them people by the job. They got to get paid by the hour, and then when they get done with it, I pay them. Right. Um, that's just what we've agreed on. But yeah, those those folks there call me any you know any hour. Um, it was a pretty short co phone conversation. Is the only reason I asked. Mm -hmm. Kind of unusual to get a 13 second phone conversation at midnight. You know, it is for me. It may not be for you. But. All right. Well, just check it out. Yeah, check it out in detail. That's right. At one point, the detective pointed out that it was pretty late for a two-and-a-half-year-old to be out still awake on a farm. But Brooks said that as long as things were going on around him, Eli was used to being up late. Plus, Crystal was his main caretaker. You know, she stayed up late normally with him, and then she would sleep in. When they got home, Brooks said that he went to bed pretty much right away, but Crystal decided to stay up a little while and play some games on her phone, and Eli stayed up with her. That's really hard. I mean, they got home around like midnight. They're keeping the baby up while she's playing games. Yeah, that's hard to believe. Very hard It's possible, I guess. But So the next morning, he says that he woke up between 6 and 7, and Eli was in bed with him, but Crystal wasn't there. So he got up and got ready and saw that Crystal wasn't home at all. Her car wasn't even in the driveway, but he really didn't get concerned. Eli stayed asleep for a while while he got dressed. And when it was time to go, he gave Eli a yogurt tube to eat in the truck. And then they went back to the family farm. They asked if he, you know, had tried to call Crystal. You'd think that you'd be concerned if she wasn't there when you woke up, especially if she normally was. And he said that he did call her at some point, but he couldn't remember if he was still home when he made the call or maybe he was in his truck or even at the farm. So when the detectives pushed back, Brooks explained that Crystal would often get together with her friends for what they would call fantasy parties. They would order things and, you know, things that he didn't want anything to do with as a man. And I've had one of these parties before when we before we got married, everyone came over and someone sold us like sex toys and lubes and stuff like that so that's what he claimed that she was out doing so late how mm, odd is that yeah i don't know he said that this was kind of embarrassing to admit and that when the woman stayed out all night at these parties he would take care of all the kids himself because he was such a good person if i woke up on a saturday morning and my wife wasn't with me in the bed as is normal um which might not be normal for you i don't know but for me it would be normal, particularly if my wife's a late sleeper, which mine is, is as well on Saturdays, for her to be there in the bed when I get up. So if if she were not, probably the first thing I would do would be to call her to find out where she was. But what you're, what you're not aware of, what you're missing, is a lot of times that her and Brooke, her sister, 
force to bring a lot of these girls that they do all these, uh, they go out and do stuff. Sometimes they do these, uh, this is going to be embarrassing for me to talk to you about, but I'm wanting to get everything cleared up as quickly as I can. They do these uh, fantasy parties. Mm -hmm. All these girls get together. They talk about and do whatever. And it's not uncommon for them, when they go out and party, they stay out the better part of the night, mm -hmm. if not the whole night. So, um, and of course, I always have the children, you know, during that, they don't take the kids to that. Matter of fact, I take care of some of their other children while they're the ones going. It's not uncommon for, because they know I don't get into all that stuff, and they know that uh, I'm a man, don't get me wrong. Understand that, a white-blooded American male. And there's no sense, I'm not telling anything different, but they, they do all these parties and order all this stuff. Well, who gets the kids? I'm good enough to get the kids for all this, and I'm a good enough person to do that. And then when everybody sees a little bit of distress, they're going to throw me under the bus. I like how he's trying to paint this like in a negative light. Like there's something wrong yeah. with, with having a fantasy party or something. <laughs> they're just fun. Like it's just, you know. Yeah, and why wouldn't you want your woman to have a fantasy party? I know. Right? It's very but he was trying to degrade her in some way or yeah. yeah. He's trying he's trying to say like she's not as good as a mom as she thinks she is because mm -hmm. I'm stepping up and, and staying right. with the kids and taking care of them while they're just playing with sex toys. Yep. And then he actually got upset and said that, you know, after all he did for them taking care of the kids, that they, her friends and family, were still going to get mad and throw him under the bus. Mm. He called himself the victim, actually. He said he was basically a single parent now, and he explained that his sole focus was going to be about protecting Eli. He seemed to be more upset that Crystal's family was, quote, dragging his name through the mud than he was at the fact that she was missing. And while being questioned, Brooks got a call from his brother, Nick. Nick Houck, who is an officer, actually, with the Bardstown Police Department. And he warned Brooks on the phone that the detective was trying to get him to trip up and advise that he not cooperate. Here's a little bit of that call. It's pretty interesting. We, we're, we're still getting video from different places, you know, that along, along that route. Uh, can I get this? Sure, please. Yes. Hello? No. I, I'm, up, I'm up here. I know that you didn't know. I'm up here in this interview with uh, the detective, Detective Snow. I've been up here a good little while. I'm, I'm filling out this uh, this statement here and everything. Do, is it, do, are you telling me that's are you telling me that's what I need to do? I know I, I know I don't I know I, I'm not I know that. But the way that I look at it is I, I'm innocent. I ain't done nothing wrong. What you know? I know you told me innocent people have got jammed up. But if you're telling me to leave, I'll get up and leave. If you want me if you want me to, I know I'm going through a lot, but I'm trying to get this guy to help me. I don't think she, I don't think she's ran off with some other guy. I don't, I don't believe that. You can't make me think that. No. Yeah, I mean, I mean, so, I mean, so, so do I. I'll do exactly what you're telling me to do right now. You want me to get up and leave? Man, I don't think these guys. I don't think, I don't think these people got vindictive just to, to skin me for no reason. Man, this is not their family. This is not. He thinks y'all little fuck is what he thinks. I don't know who he is. Nick, my brother. He he just, no, I, I know that, but I, I'm not. He just said just to just to keep sitting up here, to give a statement, do an interview, whatever I got to do, do it. But he said, no, I'm just to keep just letting them just beat you to death over this right here. Just ask what you got to ask, and let you know. I and you tell me. You see what I'm? You see what I mean? He knows more about this than I do. 
which this clip of Brooks is very bizarre. Like, to, I'm surprised the detective allowed him to even take that call while he's being questioned. But I guess oh, I know. he's not under arrest or anything, so he, he's allowed to do that. But what yeah. a bizarre phone call to take yeah. while you're being interrogated. And after he got off the call, I mean, he was pretty much done. At some point, he did agree to take a lie detector test, but the results were inconclusive. As they usually are. Yep. The day after the interview with the detective, Brooks called into the Nancy Grace show to talk about the case. And he said he was 100% completely innocent in this. Here's a clip of that. I'm not asked for any kind of legal advice or assistance or an attorney of any nature. I'm 100% completely innocent in this. And I have exhausted my efforts with the law enforcement agencies uh, to gather all the facts necessary to allow me to have a clean name again. Um, and that's very important um, to me. I have not responded to a lot of the negativity and all this animosity because I want the emphasis to remain on Crystal's safe return home. And that's where I want it to, uh, I want it to stay focused in that area rather than dealing with any of the animosity. On the show, he also said his relationship with Crystal was stressed but that he had nothing to do with her disappearance and that he was actually quote unquote helping with the search and investigation from behind the scenes, okay. which is the most cop out answer ever. Like what do you mean behind the scenes? So you can't be seen actually helping. Uh, some people have accused you of not being involved enough in the search efforts. What's your response? That is a great question. And one I'm uh, certainly appreciate you asking me, and that is uh, all of my efforts in searching for her have been done behind the scenes um, with the Nelson County Sheriff's Office. That same day, Brooks's brother Nick was called to testify before a grand jury. Based on his testimony, detectives suspected that he may have been involved in whatever happened to Crystal. Nick also wouldn't cooperate with the Sheriff's Office, but after being contacted by the FBI, he agreed to take a polygraph test. And the test was administered on July 24th by an FBI examiner. The results showed that he failed to answer the questions truthfully. And the examiner said he had grave concerns about Nick. So it's safe to say that Nick failed the polygraph test. A few months later, Nick was suspended from the Bardstown Police Department. That was a big deal. Yes. And ultimately, the chief decided that, you know, we can't have an officer who's failing polygraph tests for the FBI on the force. That's yeah. not a good look for you as a chief. No, definitely not. And he was fired a month later on October 16, 2015. And they also did not like the fact that he had called Brooks during his interview and was telling him to get the hell out of there. Right, which I'm sure word got back up to the sheriff's oh, yeah. office sheriff, and he contacted the chief like, something sketch is going mm -hmm. on here. So now he was a suspect in her disappearance. And the same day that Nick was fired, the Nelson County Sheriff's Office announced that Crystal was presumed dead and that Brooks was also a suspect. Investigators continued to work the case and interviewed anyone who might have information about what had happened that 4th of July weekend. Then on December 16, 2015, Brooks's employee and close friend, 53-year-old Danny Singleton, was arrested. He was charged with 38 counts of false swearing for lying under oath while being questioned about Crystal. The local media called Danny Brooks's right-hand man, and he ended up pleading guilty and was released after being in police custody for six months. Investigators knew that the Houck family 
and those close to them likely knew more than what they were saying about Crystal's disappearance. There was a possible break in the case when a private investigator working for Crystal's family got a tip about a vehicle. A white Buick had been parked at the Hauk family farm the last night Crystal was presumed alive, so July 3, 2015, and according to the witness, the car was parked in a peculiar spot. The family posted the tip on Facebook and got an anonymous call that the Buick actually belonged to Anna Whitesides, the grandmother of Brooks and Nick. They took the information to the police who confirmed that Anna did own a white Buick. They then got a search warrant for the car, but when they went to execute it, they learned that she had sold the Buick to a dealer a few weeks after Crystal went missing. Mm, That's not weird. Mm, Not at all. Investigators tracked it down and were able to search it for potential forensic evidence. And at this point in the investigation, detectives believe that this white Buick may have been used to transport Crystal's body. Then it was cleaned, and then they sold it, of course, to get rid of the evidence. They had tried to subpoena Anna about the car, but when she was questioned, she pleaded the fifth and refused to talk. Mm -hmm. Another red flag. Mm -hmm. A judge later ruled that any other proceedings involving Anna would be kept confidential and away from the public. A year after Crystal went missing, Sherry and Tommy tried to get custody of their grandson, Eli. They were only granted visitation rights. That's got to be so hard. Uh, you know, that's the such a big piece of her. And when you can't have her to not have access to him, that's just, that's so hard. It really breaks my heart. And the following month, August 2016, the police executed warrants to search the family farm, Nick's home, and Anna's home. The farm belonged to Rosemary Houck, Brooks and Nick's mother and authorities removed several pieces of farm equipment during the search. By this time, Brooks' lawyer had advised him to stop doing media interviews, and very little information was released about what, if anything, the searches had actually found. But then just when you think things are kind of going cold, there's a whole nother turn of events that happens. Mm -hmm. And before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. So searching for Crystal was extremely emotionally exhausting and very difficult for both of her parents, her whole family, all her friends. I mean, it really took a toll on everyone. Tommy had continued to spend nearly every waking moment looking for her, organizing searches or going over new leads and notes in the case. And on the morning of November 19th, 2016, he decided to spend some quality time with his grandson, Crystal's now 12-year-old son, Trenton. It was deer hunting season, so the two of them decided to go hunting on a property owned by their family next to Bluegrass Parkway on Ed Brent Lane. They left early in the morning when it was still dark out, and Sherry told them goodbye and went back to bed. Before drifting off, she said a prayer. Dear Lord, please watch over them while they're in the woods today and keep them safe. And within 30 minutes, she was awoken by a frantic phone call from Trenton that Tommy had been shot. Mind you, it's still dark out too. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, who else would be out there hunting at that exact time mm-hmm. with them and accidentally shoot? I mean, hunting accidents do happen mm-hmm. where people do accidentally oh, kill each other. I mean, Dick Cheney, I mean, if you look right. at that. Right, yep. <laughs> Like, yeah. it happens. It's, but Sherry knew instantly that this was it's, no accident because like you said, it was so early and she knew that there was just no way that something like that had happened. So she quickly got dressed and sped to the property. Paramedics arrived minutes before her, but Tommy was already gone. They were in a clearing when the shot seemed to come out of nowhere. Tommy was struck once in the chest, and that was all it took. 
He was 54 years old. Of course, authorities swarmed the scene, and soon other family members started to arrive as well as news got around. And the police ruled out a hunting accident or a suicide or any involvement of Trenton almost immediately. Later, a spot about 72 yards from this clearing was found to have several tree branches kind of sawed off, which could have been used as a lookout position for a second person. Or even what I think it was is for somebody to almost snipe him. Mm -hmm. If you have a hunting rifle, you can lean your gun on the branch and have a really steady shot. So it it seems very clear to me that Mm -hmm. Tommy was being hunted that morning. Yeah, and that there was literally. somebody literally out there waiting, already knew, had intel that he was going to be out in this area hunting. Because he was pushing the hardest for Crystal. He was leading everything. Like, the fact that it had gone as far as it had at this point was because of Tommy's efforts. Yeah, So, absolutely. of course, he's Somebody wants to slow that down. Yeah. yeah. So, after the initial investigation, the Nelson County Sheriff's Office actually handed the case over to Kentucky State Police since they were handling Crystal's case. And it was being called a death investigation rather than a homicide because there wasn't any clear evidence of foul play. Sherry, now left alone to care for her four grandchildren and look for her daughter, was positive that this was no accident. I think we can all agree. Yeah, clearly. I mean, this was somebody literally, like I said, sniped Tommy that morning. Yep. In the weeks leading up to his shooting, Tommy had told her that he felt like someone was following him. Sometimes the leads in Crystal's case took him to some pretty dangerous places. Sherry was certain that he was getting closer to the truth, and for that, he was murdered. Tommy left behind a box of evidence that he had worked on every day. Sherry held on to it. She didn't trust the police to follow up on the details the way that Tommy did, so she knew it was best to just keep it in the family. A few years later... Sherry shared the contents with reporter Stephanie Bauer and retired homicide detective Dwayne Stanton from Oxygen, the TV network, while they were working on a docuseries about Crystal's case. And Dwayne was stunned by how much work Tommy had put into the investigation and was impressed by his determination and commitment to bringing his daughter home. Literally lost his life for it. Yeah. It's just... It's the saddest thing. I just... Sherry... I can't even imagine how she feels like Mm -hmm. to not only lose your daughter and literally knowing that she was murdered and then to have your husband murdered Mm -hmm. especially when he's kind of the greatest hope Mm -hmm. that she had of bringing some resolution to their family after all they had been through it's just wild after tommy's death someone had to take over the volunteer search efforts and for a while everything was shut down but eventually the work was picked up by sammy johnson sherry's uncle and crystal's great uncle And he had actually been with Tommy every step of the way, following him into potentially dangerous situations. He was now determined to pick up where he left off. Sammy had actually been in the military and then worked alongside an investigator in a sheriff's department in Tennessee, looking into missing persons cases. He knew the kinds of leads that Tommy followed up on with searches, such as if Brooks' truck was spotted in a suspicious area. He had assisted on hundreds of searches for Crystal and knew how to organize volunteers and make sure that they covered the right ground. Team Crystal was now committed to finding out what had happened to Crystal and to getting justice for Tommy as well. Another dedicated member of the team wasn't a family member, but had become like family to Sherry and Tommy. Judy McKee trained cadaver dogs and assisted with missing persons investigations. She was asked to join Crystal's case early on and brought her dog, Gina, a three-year-old Dutch shepherd. Sherry called Judy the dog lady, and after Tommy's death, she was a welcome, familiar presence on Team Crystal. 
Tommy had been very close with Judy and her dogs. Gina was a certified cadaver dog trained in locating the scent of human remains, including bones, bodily fluids, and flesh. Well-trained cadaver dogs were an integral part of the search for Crystal, and Judy helped the family search hundreds of miles of land beyond what the police could handle. Another area of expertise in the case was professional divers who searched lakes and other bodies of water. After the police exhausted all of their resources, the family brought in Mike Carew, the owner of Captain Mike's Diving, who had 10 years of experience diving for the New York Police Department. And a few months after Crystal went missing, a cadaver dog had indicated around Melody Lake in Nelson County, but nothing was ever found there. Just like Judy's dogs, Mike's team picked up where the police left off. They searched two primary locations in the lake and conducted multiple searches. It was unlikely that they would find an intact body in the lake. So they were searching for any small clues to indicate that Crystal had actually been there. It was difficult, painstaking work, and Mike likened it to searching for a needle in a haystack. As the family continued their own search efforts, the police investigation was still going on. On July 25, 2017, they searched Anna Whiteside's home again, and the media reported they were looking for bullets and a reloader, which was possibly related to Tommy's death. A few days later, Brooks's girlfriend, Crystal Malpin, was arrested for ripping up signs that said, Standing with the Ballards. In addition to sharing the same name, Crystal Malpin was also a pretty blonde woman. She was charged with theft by unlawful taking and release that day, and she later pleaded guilty to the charge. A year later, on July 19, 2018, Brooks was arrested on four felony charges that had nothing to do with Crystal's case. Over the course of several days that April, he was accused of stealing 200 bundles of roofing shingles from a local Lowe's. The police searched his home and witnesses saw them remove multiple evidence bags and at least one computer modem. But Rooks ended up being released on a $25,000 bond the following day. His trial had to be moved to another county because it was impossible to get a fair trial in Bardstown. Sherry attended every day of his trial with other family members, and at this point he was facing 20 years in prison. But he was actually acquitted by a jury in April 2019. Sherry and other family members were not happy about this, and they felt that he was getting away with another crime yet again. By this point, the community was frustrated with the lack of movement in Crystal's case. Investigators had served over 70 search warrants and were still actively pursuing leads. Brooks and Nick Houck were the only people ever named as persons of interest or suspects, but neither had ever been arrested or charged for Crystal's disappearance. The strangeness surrounding this case does not end here, but before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. So there have been several other strange deaths that have happened in Bardstown over the years before Crystal went missing and after. Lucinda Strange was one of them, also Daniel Cahoe. Both of those cases are cold at this point, but one that we really wanted to go over is Jason Ellis. On May 25th, 2013, Jason Ellis was on his way home to his wife and two young sons. The 33-year-old officer worked for the Bardstown Police Department. It was around 2 a.m. in the morning when he took exit 34 off the Bluegrass Parkway. The narrow off-ramp was surrounded on both sides by steep stone walls. When Jason saw branches blocking the ramp, he stopped and got out to clear the road. They were just randomly there. Oh, my God. And someone on top of the stone cliff fired a shotgun down from above, hitting him multiple times, and he died on the scene, and there was absolutely no witnesses to this. 
The coroner later said that he had been hit three times in each bullet hitting vital areas by a very skilled shooter. Hmm. That makes you think about Tommy, right? Yeah, a very skilled shooter to do a perfect shot to the chest like that mm-hmm. from almost 100 yards away, it seems. Mm-hmm. In the much middle of the dif- night. Yeah. yeah, much more difficult than you would think. Jason was the first officer in the department ever killed in the line of duty. This ambush killing happened off the Bluegrass Parkway in between the spot where Crystal's car was abandoned and where Tommy was killed. Hmm. So Mm -hmm. something going on there. Yeah, definitely. The multiple deaths in a short period of time, all unsolved, made the local residents very nervous, and many believed that they had to be connected. A local shop owner who was also a vocal supporter of Crystal's family said he found a threatening note on his shop door telling him if he didn't stop talking about the cases, he would be next. He threw the note away, saying that he didn't believe there was anything the police could do about it. Sherry believed the cases were linked and that Crystal had been killed for overhearing something she shouldn't have. People didn't believe all these murders could be a coincidence, and they were scared. Some even believed there was something paranormal going on in the town that was causing evil things to happen. Others just blamed some kind of organized crime, maybe related to drugs. Like we said, there's a number of other suspicious deaths that are still unsolved or, you know, the police have said potentially is an accident that everybody else looks at and is like, eh, probably not. But we don't have time to get in all of those today. But the last one that we're going to look at is actually a death that occurred prior to Crystal's disappearance. This is actually back in the family history of the Ballard family. And this has to deal with Frida Shireen Ballard Barnes. So Frida actually went by the nickname Sherry. And that's what we'll call her. Sherry was Crystal's aunt and Tommy's older sister, but Crystal never had the chance to meet her. When Sherry was a senior in high school, she started dating a young man named Edsel Barnes Jr., who went by Eddie. Soon after she graduated high school, they got married, but things quickly turned sour. Sherry got pregnant, and Eddie apparently didn't want to be responsible for supporting a child. And on January 29, 1979, Sherry left her parents' house to take her car in for repairs. She was 19 years old and then seven and a half months pregnant, and she never came back. The next day, her father and uncle went looking for her and reported her missing. And for the next eight weeks, the family organized multiple searches, but there was no sign of Sherry. Two months after she went missing, her purse was found in a remote area in Clarksville, Indiana, along the Ohio River. And just down the river from her purse, her car was found partially submerged with a large rock on the gas pedal. The police were now certain foul play was involved in the disappearance, and Sherry's family continued to search for her. Three years after she went missing, a man named George Weir was arrested on burglary charges. He cut a deal with prosecutors that if they reduced those charges, he would tell them what happened to Sherry. And it turned out that George was close friends with Eddie Barnes, and he'd actually helped Eddie cover up Sherry's murder. After burying her body, they dug it up and moved it twice. The second time, they burned the remains and buried them on a farm in Nelson County. Sherry had been shot to death. Isn't Eddie, it weird how many similarities there are? I mean, just with the yeah. farm. I mean, it's just creepy. It's very creepy. How this happened in the same family. You know, a yeah. similar situation, possibly. I mean, we don't know exactly what happened with Crystal, but I don't know. It just stands out to me, some of these similarities. No, it really does. Eddie was arrested for the murder in 1982, but the trial was delayed for two years while the state debated if he could be charged for the death of Sherry's unborn baby, too. And ultimately, he was only charged with first-degree murder for Sherry's death, and he and George were both convicted in 1984, though it's still not known who actually pulled the trigger. 
They were both sentenced to life in prison and will likely never get out. When Sherry's remains were found, Tommy was just 20 years old. And decades later, when Crystal went missing, it felt like the family was reliving their worst nightmare all over again, especially for Tommy. They were reliving the pain and desperation of searching for a missing loved one in the same town a full generation later. In 2004, Kentucky state legislators passed a fetal homicide act, including a resolution that credited Sherry Ballard for the landmark law. So let's jump back to Crystal Rogers case here and talk about some of the recent developments. So in 2019, a new sheriff was appointed for Nelson County and he had renewed a commitment to solving Crystal's case. And everyone really hopes he follows through with that. Obviously, forensic techniques and technology is constantly changing. You know, they are able to process DNA in different ways than they were years ago. So they are continuing to test evidence in the case that was collected from multiple different areas of the scene. By this time, it seems detectives are pretty sure they know what happened to Crystal. Um, I'm sure most of you have an idea of what could have happened or your own theory. I think most of us are on the same page, maybe not about exactly how it happened, but what happened and who was involved, right? So they're still working on pulling together enough evidence to make an arrest, but it has not happened yet. So in July of 2020, human remains were discovered in a remote area of a neighboring county. And many people hoped that this would be the break that they were looking for. And when I had covered this on my channel, that seemed to be how everyone was feeling, you know, and the family and people around the case that, yeah, this is really going to be it. But it turns out a few months later, the results showed that they did not belong to Crystal. The Nelson County Sheriff's Office had worked with the FBI to retrieve the remains. And the following month, the FBI announced that they would be taking over Crystal's case. The Sheriff's Office is still going to continue to assist with the investigation, but it will be mainly led by the FBI, which is great. It's a huge development and has brought Crystal's family a lot of hope. That month, authorities also executed nine different search warrants and conducted interviews with more than 50 people about Crystal's disappearance. They also searched several properties. They searched Brooks and Nick's home. They searched the Houck family farm. They searched the bodies of water on the property as well. And the search of Brooks' home began in the early morning hours of August 6, 2020. Officers had to make forceful entry into the home and spent 10 hours there collecting evidence, removing several boxes, hard drives, and guns. They also searched Brooks's storage unit for the first time in the investigation, which I'm surprised it took that long to do, but here we are. At Nick's home, multiple agents and canines were laser focused on a pickup truck for several hours. On August 9th, 2020, they released information about a vehicle of interest in the case. It was a red SUV seen driving near the Hauk family farm around 3.45 a.m. on July 4th, 2015. Agents have asked the public for any information about the driver. So, of course, if you happen to know anything, we will have all the information in our description boxes and so on for you to report that to the right people. So a few days later, on August 14th, they also identified a new area of interest in the case near Poplar Flats Road and Farmaway Drive in Bardstown. Again, they have asked the public for help, encouraging anyone who may have been in this area on the early morning hours of July 4th, 2015, to come forward, even if you may know something that may, might seem insignificant to you. You know, you never really know how much it can help. Over the next year, the FBI planned to conduct hundreds of interviews and would follow up with any new leads that came from the evidence collected, new forensic testing, or witness interviews. 
They also brought Crystal's car in for additional testing. As the investigation moved forward, the special agents on the case zeroed in on the Woodlawn Springs subdivision in Bardstown. Brooks' company, Hauk Rentals LLC, owns three homes in the subdivision, and Brooks was building multiple homes in that same subdivision when Crystal went missing. Volunteers from Team Crystal had searched the area back in 2015. A cadaver dog had alerted on a dirt mound, but nothing ever came of it. On August 24, 2021, the FBI returned to that same area with their own cadaver dog, and they focused on one home and driveway on North Howard Street and actually started digging. They dug up the entire front yard and the driveway from the street all the way up to the garage door, and the seven-day dig paid off. The FBI announced that they found several items of interest in the case and put a rush on forensic testing at the FBI lab in Quantico, Virginia. Agents returned to the property to continue going through the mounds of dirt that they had piled up. One of the FBI agents gave Sherry real-time updates every single day and drove to her house each evening to talk to her in person, which I'm sure she appreciated. Mm -hmm. She believes the focus of their investigation has shifted from finding Crystal and retrieving her remains to making an arrest. On August 28th, the FBI announced a $25,000 reward for information in the case, hoping that would incentivize someone to come forward. They also confirmed that other properties were searched and that they were collecting evidence in some of the other unsolved Bardstown deaths. While they haven't released any details at this time, they do believe that answers in one of these cases could lead to answers in the other. So there could potentially yeah. be connections there. I think so. At least a few of them. Obviously, maybe, I mean, they're not all connected, most likely, but I think a few of them are. Yeah, well, that would mean there's a serial killer on the loose in Bardstown. Mm. Kind of seems that way. It does. And based on her conversations with agents, Sherry believes forensic testing on the items of interest could be completed within the month. The FBI released a statement saying there are people in Bardstown who know exactly what happened to Crystal Rogers, and now is the time for those people to come forward. The small, close-knit community that was rocked by so many suspicious and unsolved deaths is watching all of this unfold and staying hopeful that the families of the victims will finally get some answers. There's a saying in the city that goes, nothing gets solved here in Bardstown. That's horrible, God. How depressing. I know. And right now, there are a lot of people hoping to prove this saying wrong. Sherry's confident in the FBI's handling of Crystal's case, saying these recent developments feel different, and that right now, she has more hope than she's ever had. That's great to hear. So we'll leave it with, if anyone out there has any information about this case or any of the other Bardstown deaths we mentioned, you should call 1-800-CALL-FBI, which is 1-800-225-5324, or you can submit tips on the FBI's Crystal Rogers Task Force website, which is crystalrogerstaskforce.com. I think they're super close. I bet you this mm-hmm. year this this case this breaks wide open. Year? I think so. I mean, they're rushing the testing of, of these items they found yeah. that they dug up on his properties. Found. Like, mm. seems I like. I mean, things just move slowly. I don't want to get my hopes up. But, no. Uh, it seems like they're getting close. I, think, I agree with you. I think it could be by the end of the year. Well, bottom line is I think this is going to be a solved case. Eventually. Eventually. I hope and so. And that justice oh will be served. I hope so for all, I mean, her family, of course, but just the people in Bardstown who have seen all of these deaths happen over and over again and they never get answers. And I would be scared to live there with yeah, a saying right, like that the, about nothing gets solved here in Bardstown. It's horrible. I and mean, there's just, I just killers on the loose? This be one of them you know and give them hope and like they said maybe finding some answers about crystal's death will 
lead to more answers about other people's deaths as well. I, I really think so. I think I do too. I think the the FBI really came in here and just, I mean the FBI has just got so many more tools and their their lab in Virginia's state of the art. I mean they can oh, if there's yeah. any forensic evidence to to pull out of yeah. the things that they found, they're going to be able to do it. Yeah, it's great. It's going to Quantico. That's fantastic. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, hopefully it will be quick. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. We're really you know sending our love and support to. Team Crystal, you know, their whole family. Yeah, and the Ballard family. I mean, yeah. this has just had to been an absolute nightmare to deal with. I and mean, then losing Tommy, too, on top of it, that is just heartbreaking. I just can't believe that they didn't, they weren't able to, like, get more information around that. The fact that that was so, like, just mysterious in itself, too. Like, happens to go hunting. And well, whoever that did morning. that was clearly stalking him to know that he was going to go hunting on this day or, I mean, I don't even know if it was really that solid of a plan. So it, they were just watching and waiting at all times. Yeah. And it's who? Totally scary. Who? Who do you think? Who's out there? Who the fuck do you think it is? One of the Hawks, probably. Mm, but right? is it possible that it's not? Yeah, I guess. I guess someone else could be working with them, but or I they don't know. Are like I think somebody, Nick Hawks is... Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I it seems like he has the ability to do this. Yeah. And I, uh, I mean, I really, this is totally speculative, but I don't know. He could have had some involvement in Jason Ellis's death as well. God, that's crazy. Yeah. The first ever officer killed in the line of duty and it happens in that way. Yeah. And he's targeted like that. I mean, it seems like it could have been a fellow officer. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. We want to know what you guys think. Please let us know any of your theories below. We'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions on these cases, especially when they're this, you know, suspicious and confusing. It helps to have more minds kind of trying to figure it out. So absolutely want to know your thoughts on this. But that is going to be it for Mile Higher podcast this week. We will be back next week. But until then, keep on taking your mind a mile higher.